You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Brett Eichenberger and Jill Riemensnyder are a husband and wife team who produce a wide variety of video content for their company, Resonance Productions. Some of you might be familiar with their work on the Hillsborough Police Chief recruitment video, which went viral a few years ago. Besides that, we talk about their new independent film, Pretty Broken, and a few of the things that went into making that movie. Lastly, this conversation is in two parts, first with Brett, uh, and then later I talk with Jill. So I hope you'll enjoy our conversations. My whole philosophy is that I want to make, I want to tell stories that, that resonate with people, that resonate with an audience. So in other words, it's not just dumb entertainment, dumb mindless entertainment. It has, there's something that people can take away, regardless of what that product is, whether it's a music video or it's a feature film or a short film or a commercial, people feel like they've gotten something out of it. And so that's why we've called the company Resonance. So we do a variety of different work. I think for the most part, if it involves a camera, we'll do it. We do documentaries, short films, feature films, music videos, corporate videos, um, documentary shorts. You know, different clients have different needs. So we've done spoof videos. We've done comedy. We've done drama. We've even done a little bit of sci-fi. We've written some sci-fi. We've written a sci-fi screenplay, which is a finalist in the final draft, a semi-finalist in the final draft contest. So whole variety of different things. And again, going back to the name of the company, things that we feel like resonate with the audience. Okay. Uh, how did you guys get started in this? Got started. Um, again, I think I, I think I may have mentioned we got started. There was almost two parts to resonance. Uh, the first part was I started doing a documentary when I was still in college and I really needed a company name. And this documentary was about, um, this country western singer who kind of had a tragic downfall and again i won't get into that but i just kind of needed a company name and i thought long and hard about what i really wanted to do um and then from that point forward um i branched out and realized this is a great way to make money this is a great way to be a business and so i kind of cut my teeth doing wedding videos doing some event videos um so in other words you know, big uh, gatherings, corporate gather- gatherings, those would be inve- event videos. Um, we did a lot of weddings. This is like 10, 15 years ago. Um, and then from that point forward, you start meeting people, you start branching out, you start getting experience, and then people give you shots doing different commercials and corporate videos and more of a uh, corporate type of projects, if you will. Yeah, do you feel like you get a good sense of purpose from the work you do? I feel like, do, I feel like, if somebody came to us that, that asked us to do something that didn't align with our philosophy as a brand and as a company, I feel like I would turn it down. And that's typically how we pitch ourselves too. If we go into a situation where we pitch a client, we talk about how we can make their product resonate. A lot of the projects that we've done, we like to really put into put in an emotional factor. So it's not just all pizzazz. There's that emotional resonance, you know, people, and when I say emotional resonance, it's not necessarily um, crying, perhaps, you know, t- sometimes people equate emotion with sadness or crying, but it's emotion is happiness, it's laughter, you know, we've done some things that we think are very funny, and people talk about it, you know, after that five or six minute video, they go, wow, that was a ride, thanks for making me laugh. Um, so typically, if somebody were to come to us and say, you know, please do a video on our widgets, and maybe the philosophy of that company didn't align with ours, or if there was something about it that we couldn't do to integrate our ideals and philosophy into that product video, then, you know, I don't know that it would be the best fit. 
like the Hillsborough um, police recruitment video, I think yeah. is probably a good example of yeah. this where like, it's funny, but you also get like a kind of a sense of realness of the people where it seems like they all like their jobs pretty well. You kind of yeah. get a feel for who they are as a department, which right. is more than just a funny video. So it, I thought that was like an interesting aspect of it that I didn't necessarily expect when I was watching it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Our goal with that was to show pers- prospective police chiefs across the country to show that police officers are people. They're, they're people with a sense of humor. There are people with a sense of community. There are people with a sense of pride. It's, you know, oftentimes the public looks at uh, the police force as being very serious, you know, like don't speed, don't do anything illegal because, you know, the cop's going to bust you. And these are people that are within our community, to make our community safe. And we wanted to show that they could be friendly, you know, and we felt like doing that with a sense of humor was a great way to make it go viral. Um, The intention of that was to go viral within the city, you know, and to get some some attention. But it definitely went a lot further than we any of us in the city of Hillsborough, any of us had ever imagined. Yeah, I saw, I think it got like over 175,000 views. Yeah. So that's at least double the population of Hillsborough. Yeah, or- at least double the population of Hillsborough. And then we got, I think there was like 30 or 40,000 views just on the Vimeo link alone. So there was, and not to mention there was other websites that reposted it and, and whatnot. So yeah, lots of traction on that one. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about like the other kinds of gigs that you've done? One of the pieces that we've done within the last couple of years that I think is good and, and kind of helps to illustrate the philosophy of our company is we did a project on individuals in our community that were high utilizers of 911. So these were people that were in situations where they were calling 911 very frequently and that was causing a problem, obviously, um, with 911 responders, first responders, and so on and so forth. And so there was a system, there was uh, a grant, I guess you could say, that was set up to help benefit these people and to help find the... um, find them work and get them back on their feet, um, get them back into the community and address the reasons why they were calling 911 all the time. So for an example, um, an individual might be in a situation where they're, um, you know, they have an alcohol addiction and they might call 911 because they have nobody to talk to, or they're constantly um, in situations where they're, they're so extremely inebriated that um, they need medical help. And this is something that, that happens you know, a bunch of times through the course of the week. So those first responders know exactly who this person is and they've identified that they're, they're a habitual user of 911 and that needs to be something that's addressed. It's, it's pulling from community resources. So we did a video on um, some of these individuals and how uh, a program that's been set up through the Tri-County area, Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas, and how they've um, helped these individuals kind of, you know, kick the habits, if you will, get their feet back on the ground, get jobs. And that video was very impactful. Uh, We actually won an award for it. We won a Telly Award for that video. And that was something that, and it got a lot of traction, it got a lot of views. And that's something that helps inform policy. So when that grant comes due again for the following year, they can use that video as an example of, you know, did this work? Did this, is this something that we should keep doing? And so having the video documentation, having these emotional interviews is a great way for, um, for those outside to really get kind of close and up front and center and listen to these um, habitual users of 911 talk about the recovery process and how if they hadn't have had this service, they might be dead. In fact, I think one of the interviewers even said as much. So that's a video that um, really, it resonated, you know, 
not only with the individual that watched it, but it resonated throughout the community. So we take a lot of pride in, in doing work like that. Do you want to talk about your experience as a director? I mean, it's not sure. something I understand at all, so I'm just yeah. going to ask like, some kind of dumb questions. Yeah, like, absolutely. How do, how do you spend your time as a director? So this is a little bit of a gear shift. So directing is kind of an interesting job. Um, and I feel like the public sometimes has kind of a strange understanding of what a director actually does. And the majority of the director's work um, is done before a movie or a TV show is shot. So a lot of the director's work is, is in the, or the pre-production of the project. So in other words, my job is to take a script and break that script down. So I'll go through that script literally line by line, set by set, um, or setting by setting, and I'll figure out what I want to do for that particular piece and how I want to direct those actors. So when I come to set and it's time to shoot, I have answers to all the questions that I might be asked, and maybe even more so. It's my sole job as the director to protect the vision of the, um, the film or protect my vision and to tell the best story possible. So um, once I get onto set, it's basically asking a lot of, I'm sorry, it's basically answering a lot of questions. So I might have any, anywhere from 100 to 200 to 300 questions per day on set from various departments like costume designer, um, from my cinematographer, who is kind of my right-hand man, from, you know, maybe the sound guy, from maybe um, the art department. You know, do you want to use a purple prop or an orange prop, for instance? Um, any number of actors that I'm working with you know, that particular day, they might ask me, does the character walk in like this or does the character walk in like that? So when I'm on set, the biggest decisions that I make are how I move the camera and how I move the actors. And that's what creates what you see on screen. So I'll show up to a set. It'll be decorated. It'll be just about ready to go. I'll block the actors. Blocking means that I'll tell the actors where to walk, where to stop, where to move. And then I'll block the camera and figure out how the camera moves. So, so it moves from point one to point two, and that needs to work in conjunction with the actors. I'm trying to think of what else. So basically that's it for, you know, however many days, 20 days, 30 days. It seems like you really need like a good understanding of every other person's role. Yes. So how did you get to that point? There's a lot of people that, that move from writing into directing, and I really think that there's different types of directors out there. And you'll hear that sometimes in conversation. You'll hear actors say, well, he's an actor's director, or he's a technical director. There's a lot of directors. George Lucas comes to mind as somebody who's probably more of a technical director. And, and what that means is that George Lucas is more concerned about the visual effects and the camera, and that's kind of his forte. He's good at telling a story with um, visuals. And he'll kind of let the actors come in and just, just do what they do. He trusts the actors enough that he's not going to give them a lot of direction. Um, there's other directors like a Martin Scorsese who's more hands-on. He's going to really work with those actors and really help them shape their roles. The other thing is, is that a director should really understand the editing process because the, the editing process or post-production, if you will, is where the film is really made. Um, you go, you know, I'll go and I'll shoot a film and I'll, I'll shoot what's called coverage, which means having multiple camera angles of lots of different things. So I have choices in the editing room. Um, I don't want to be in the editing room and go, oh no, you know, we have to either reshoot it or we have to come up with another option or we have to cut a scene. That's, that's pretty bad. I mean, reshoots are common, but 
you can't forget something. Let me put it that way. So having options in the editing room um, really, really helps. Um, and having that basic understanding of how a film is cut together can help you be a successful versus a not successful director. So where do you see yourself on that? I am very hands-on. You know, I kind of feel like I'm kind of an in-between technical actors director. Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with actors if I'm shooting something that involves a lot of camera setups and a lot of action. You know, if an actor's running away from a bad guy, I'm not going to give him a lot of direction. You know, you know we're going to we're going to know that he's scared. We're going to know why he's running. But most of my concentration that particular day is going to be on on how the camera moves and how do I create something that's suspenseful for the audience. So I'm kind of right in the middle. I mean, you you have to be able to wear multiple hats you have to be a little bit different but i do feel like it's important at the end of the day that i need to be there as a director for my actors um i don't want my actors um feeling like they can't turn to me and talk to me i want to be like a a big brother if you will or an uncle or somebody you know somebody that's trusted so you know in that regard i i think some actors would call me an actress director yeah i think we could probably like uh spin this into like your new movie pretty broken yeah do you want to talk a little bit about the process of, well, here, do you want to just give like some background information before yeah. we, before we get into this? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Pretty Broken is about a young woman whose father goes missing on a mountaineering expedition. She's convinced he's alive and she's determined to bring him home. Only she's the worst person to do it. Basically, Lindsay, our main character, our protagonist is, um, she's got some other things going on in her life amongst the fact that her father has gone missing. She doesn't really have the resources or the know-how or really the understanding of what she's getting involved with. It's a film that was written by Jill Remensnyder, my wife, and she had been developing it. It was a semi-finalist in a couple of screenplay contests, and um, she got it to a point where I felt like we should really pursue this as our next film. And um, I went through and I did, you know, directors typically will go through a script and make notes and maybe make some changes or do a, what's called a polish. And so I did that a couple of times and I got it to a point where I felt like I was ready to direct it and Jill agreed. And so she came on as the producer. She kind of switched hats, if you will. And um, in January 2015, we started shooting the film. And what we did is we shot 10 minutes of it as a prologue that we could use to um, show people as being our next film. And then we could take that and try and raise money and, and gather interest. From that point, um, fast forward a year and a half, we had come up with the finances that we needed in order to make the film. And so we started the casting process. A lot of that process took place in Los Angeles. So we brought up a lot of actors from, from LA we were a low budget production and Jill, again, Jill may have a better answer for that. Um, that's her department, but anyways, but we definitely had a professionalism, people that were accustomed to being on set and they were accustomed to the makings of the film. And that was important to us. So we brought the actors up, put the film together. We shot for five days in July of 2016. We took a little bit of, of a break and then brought the rest of the actors up for, um, I think it was 17 days. Again, Jill can clarify this. Something like that, 17, 18, 19 days in September of 2016. So what are your plans to get the movie like out in front of people? How do you market a movie? This is like the million dollar question or the billion dollar question. How do you market a movie? Um, <laughs> for us, you know, you know, big films, blockbusters spend hundreds of millions of dollars marketing and they do anything and everything they can to get it out to as many people as they can. What we're doing because of limited financial resources and the fact that we're a low budget indie film is that we're, we are we're using social media 
and then we're going to try and ride on festivals. And we're just going to build an audience that way. What's a low-budget film? A low-budget film, you know, a low-budget film these days could be anywhere. Hollywood says a low-budget film is anything lower than $20 million, which to us indie filmmakers, is that's insane for us to wrap our heads around. Um, filmmaking is not cheap. I'll put it I'll put it that way. Um, it's very, very difficult to do a feature film for less than ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Very difficult. That means everybody's working for free and everybody's eating pizza every day, and you're shooting over the course of a week. Fortunately, we had more money than that, and we were able to to really work with actors and work with our cast and our crew to get to a point where we felt everybody felt fair and they wanted to come and show up at, to set every day and work very hard. You know, I would say probably the average low-budget indie film is probably closer to a quarter of a million to half a million dollars. They're, they seem to be right about in that range. Uh, what do you like about this movie? What, do you, what are you hoping resonates with people? Oh, man. Um, there's a lot of things that I like about this movie, and I'm really, really proud of it. Um, I think everybody that's involved in it is really proud of it. I think the, re the thing that I, I hope really resonates with the audience is that um, it's a movie about a father and a daughter and about family and about the importance of family. But there's also little messages and little lessons that, that are tucked away in there too. You know, about her relationship with her brother, her relationship with her mother. Um, I, I just really want people to watch it and walk away with a sense of gratitude for the family and the people that they have in their lives. And I want, you know, I want people to laugh and want people to cry. And I think it does that. I think it does that really well. Looks really good from the trailer that I've Thanks. seen. It looks like there's like some good uh, substance, like a feeling yeah. to it, like a really authentic feeling. Yeah, thank good. you. Yeah, the, the the part of the trailer that stuck out to me, there's like a, a scene where like it's kind of uh, conveying that her life is a mess. Mm -hmm. She's got just like a piece of like untoasted bread with butter on it or yeah. something in her hand. And like, I don't even know the backstory <laughs> of it. It's just like, that. that is a great touch. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one does that when their life's going well. <laughs> Yeah, that's a funny scene, actually. <laughs> we call it aggressive buttering. You know, during during the film, she's like aggressively buttering her toast. So I think something that would be interesting to talk to you about would be uh, the lifestyle of working in film and mm -hmm. kind of the flow that you guys go through. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little? So the lifestyle of a filmmaker is a really, really, really weird one. Um, I don't even know that our parents fully understand it, to be honest with you. We can work, we can sometimes work 60 to 80 hours a week, and we can sometimes work seven days a week for weeks on end without any breaks. We love what we do, we have fun what we do, but sometimes it can be very stressful. Um, other times it can be literally the best job in the world. When you're able to take something like a feature film and bring everybody together, your cast, your crew, everybody and actually see it play out in front of you and for me to be the director and to see that happen and to think back as to what it all took to bring those people to that 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 very spot and to actually have it happening sometimes i feel like that's I, it's the greatest job in the world to see that and to be a part of that it's a very magical feeling and to see actors work um in real life is a special special treat it's nothing, I shouldn't say it's nothing like seeing it on the big screen, but it's, it's just so different to see that magic happen and to know that you're doing something um, that's going to end up in the final film. I'm kind of uh, digressing a little bit. The other part of the lifestyle is um, there's a creative side and there's a business side. And unfortunately, sometimes creativity and business doesn't really mesh 
Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of right brain, left brain switching. And I think for us, sometimes as artists, we want to just be in that zone, if you will. We want to stick to writing or we want to stick to directing or editing and not have to worry about, you know, bringing in the money and doing pitches and meeting with investors and trying to sell yourself. But the fact is that's the reality that we are in right now, especially in the independent filmmaking world. At the end of the day, it's great experience, but it can be difficult to, to do that kind of nonstop. And the other part of it is there's a lot of rejection in um, the filmmaking world. It's like, you know, you you could submit to half a dozen film festivals that you're certain you're going to get into four or five of them, and you get into one. Um, we've got a ton of examples of that in, in our past with films where we were certain we were going to get into one and didn't get into that one, but we got into the one we didn't expect to get into, you know, so it, it, it works both ways. You never know what kind of um, response you're going to get. And regardless of how much you separate yourself as an artist from your work of art, it's it's still your baby to a certain extent. And so you're still protective of it. And so sometimes reading reviews can be very difficult. So in other words, there's all, it's there's sometimes there can be a bit of a roller coaster ride, very deep valleys, highs and lows. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you manage the ups and downs of that? You just have to kind of keep your eyes on the prize and um, remember that, you know, for instance, if we get a bad review in our film, we we have an understanding at this point in our careers that that bad review is that person's opinion. You know, not everybody is going to see the film the same way. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the film is bad per se. It just means that they saw it a certain way that didn't resonate with them. It didn't work for them. Um it's not about you personally. Film. It's like yeah. usually more about them. It's usually more about them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they have any, that there's anything wrong with them by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, you know, I can think of, we can all think of dozens of movies that we didn't like, that we know somebody else who, who loved. The way I see it is that almost every movie that's ever been created is somebody's favorite movie out there. You know what I mean? Um, which is kind of strange to me. You know, like I don't like horror films and I have friends that love horror films. You know, but I can't, I literally can't stand them. Um, but other people, that's like their favorite thing to watch. You know what I mean? And it's hard for me to understand that. So that's a really interesting part of the filmmaking process, you know, is like putting it out there and going here, here's what we did. Hope you like it. <laughs> and, you know, you don't really have to defend it. You just kind of like, if they don't like it, you move on. If they love it, then that really makes your day. That's kind of the payoff. So something I'd like to ask both you and Jill, what are your thoughts on working with someone um, that you're married to? Yeah, well, it's interesting being married to somebody that I work with, and I'm sure she would say the same thing. It, the truth is we don't know any different. We've both had real jobs before, um, if you will, uh, quote unquote real jobs that we've gone to in the morning and we've come home at night. And But it's been... A long time. It's been maybe five or six years since one of us has had like a real job, if you will. Um, and for me, it's been over 10 years. I've been doing this, you know, by myself for over 10 years. Jill joined me about five years ago. So it hasn't, all, we haven't like always been constantly working together, but for the over the past five years, we have. Um, and there's still some jobs that I will do without her. Um, and the same goes for her. You know, there's a couple of writing jobs that she'll get that I won't be involved in. And so sometimes that separation is nice. Um, I mean, we do spend a lot of time together, which is different for married couples. But I think um, I think it's a great working relationship. I think that um, I think the most difficult part for 
either of us is to be very um, critical of each other's work because we can take it personally because we're married. Um, but we have to be able to be honest with each other in order to make each other better, you know, because outside in the real world, we're not judged as a married couple, we're judged individually. Jill's judged by her writing skills and I'm judged by my directing skills. Um, or, you know, or anything else that, that we put out there for um, public consumption. So that's an interesting part of it. But at the end of the day, we're both here for um, support. And that's important too. That, that I think the togetherness helps kind of helps us make us stronger, you know, artists. Thanks again, Brett. And now here's my conversation with Jill. It is more of the screenwriting and producing side of things. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of your perspective of residence and then what your role is within the company? Resonance Productions, uh, we do all sorts of projects from uh, industrials, commercials, short films, music videos, and even feature films. It's really about uh, filling a client's need or filling a need that we see uh, in the community. Yeah, so how, how do you fit into that? What are the roles that you fulfill? It can range from writing the scripts, working with the client on developing ideas, um, just taking care of all the details so Brett know, Brett can show up ready to work. Depending on what the job is kind of dictates who's really in control. Uh, for projects that, are, that really rely on visuals and camera and there's a lot of moving technical parts, that I defer to Brett and follow his lead uh, and just make sure I can put together the project uh, so it will work best for what he needs to do. Uh, others are more uh, story driven and with script and actors. And in those situations, he'll let me take the lead and do what I need to do. And then he comes in as the creative. I mean, something that I want to get to like fairly quickly, uh, just kind of off the bat, how did you develop a knack for storytelling? How did you even get good at this stuff? As far as storytelling, that's something that I, I can say going back to my childhood, uh, putting on performances, uh, puppet shows, uh, dinner at our house was like dinner theater. I, I would literally have a set list of uh, what my material was going to be for the night. And at a certain point towards the end of the dinner, <laughs> I would I would go on and do a show. Um, but in school, uh, definitely writing classes were my favorite. And as I, you know, as I got older and then went into college, I became a theater major. And I just, re I really fell in love with writing for performance. And through theater, I ended up in, in film and really started focusing on screenwriting. But I think as far as story goes, um, it's just something that just has always come natural for me. Okay. Do you think it can be taught to people? Storytelling? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the basics of a story, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Now, how you want to handle those is all up to you and how you execute it. I mean, it's subjective. But, you know, there are enough resources. You can definitely learn the mechanics and the basics of how to tell a story, how to tell a certain genre. Even in screenwriting, they've broken it down where at so many minutes, the audience needs this kind of information to stay engaged and how you present that information and how long they'll stay engaged until you give the next bit of information and 
move the story along. So definitely it can be taught. So is it like a, it's kind of like a scientific side to it that people have done? They've like studied it? There's definitely, oh yeah, there's definitely formula. I mean, you can read uh, anything by Robert McKee, uh, even Joseph Campbell, uh, The Hero's Journey, uh, Christopher Vogler, uh, Truby. There's so many, but you know, it, it is. There's, there's base, there is a formula and you can break it down and get into like the mechanics and the science of it. I do think you can teach story, the concept of story and writing, whether or not you have a talent for it or if it comes naturally or, and if you enjoy it, that's, that's all subjective. That's basically uh, the writer's call, I guess. Do you have ways of thinking about things or like tips or perspectives that would help people get better at story writing? Like what have been helpful insights for you? Write every day. Set time aside, whether it's just a paragraph or a page or you're just brainstorming, make it a habit to write every day. Um, I try to write new things or explore ideas that I normally wouldn't or try to take an opposing viewpoint, look at things completely crazy. Those have been the those have been the best bits of advice I've gotten. For me as a writer, one of the things that I like to do is in terms of story, I try to think of ways a story hasn't been told before. The beginning's usually a good place to start. Do you start with the beginning of the story? You don't like have it figured out where the ending is going to be? Before, if I'm starting a story, there's depending on how the story comes to me or or what the end goal is, I might have the characters developed or I have an idea for a storyline already, or I know certain elements I want to happen, um, or there's a, a message I'm trying to send and I'll build around that. I mean, every, every idea is a little bit different. Um, usually before I really start writing, there's a lot of work that goes on before beforehand and that's all the notes and mapping the story out and figuring out how the characters are going to change from the beginning to the end what their arc is how they're going to interact with other people what you know what's the opposition in the story what are they trying to overcome so once i've got a handle on all that i'll start to outline and flesh things out and actually like for screenwriting or sitting down writing a short story or or what have you that's really the last step because there's so much work that goes on beforehand. <laughs> it seems like you're moving from like very big picture ideas to like increasing levels of detail as you go through. Yeah, you're, you're definitely filtering out um, a lot of stuff. And even, you know, and even when you get that first draft, it's just the first draft. There's many, many first. more. Yeah. Sure. Do you find yourself drawn towards like certain themes or genres in your work? I like dark comedy. I like uh, I like irony. I like finding humor in dark moments and how uh, people cope with them. I'm a big fan of writing characters who are underdogs and kind of them getting their day. Yeah, I, I, I like see, I like seeing people overcome challenges, but I also really love uh, characters who really have to suffer for what they want to get. So, having seen the trailer for Pretty Broken, this seems like this is a good probably a transition point. <laughs> uh, can, can you talk about what the thing that you're like trying to express with this movie is? Really the message is, as we all deal with grief, we cope with grief differently and there's no right or wrong way. And it's also kind of a commentary on, I don't wanna say, this sounds cliche, don't judge a book by its cover, 
But the idea of we don't really know what's going on behind closed doors in homes. Um, I think the in Pretty Broken, the Lou family, they present themselves as these very normal functioning people. But, but behind closed doors, things aren't as perfect as they would want people to think. And they're just really trying to keep up appearances. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of appetite for that realism. Exactly, yeah. And my gosh, if if our characters used Instagram or Facebook, it would be a train wreck. It, it would just be terrible. So we, I'm glad we did not implement that as part of the storyline. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> When you when you think about like writing this movie, like where did you start with? Like what was the how did it develop from like an initial idea to kind of where it is currently? Okay, so the the story it really went on a journey because where it started and where it what it came to, what we filmed, it's changed so much. You know, at one point it was really just following um this is following all the members of the family and it was the characters were completely different and then it was more of a focus on um lindsay and lindsay working at the car dealership and then it shifted back to more of a family more of a family interaction and then it morphed into this romantic triangle and um you know, that, that's the thing with writing is like, it's hard for me anyways, it's, it's hard to determine. It's like, when is, when is it really finished? You know, Brett, I heard Brett mention um, the script was semi-finalist in some competitions. And at that point, I felt really good about it. I was like, okay, great. And it went through two major changes after that. So, but it got to a point, you know, we got talent involved and we're, we went through a lot like script doctors and getting feedback and all the notes. And it wasn't until we felt all the holes were patched up in the boat that, you know, we could take it out to sea safely. Uh, we really vetted it. And when, when the people that we were sending it to were, were like, pick it apart, find everything, you know, that doesn't work. Once we got to the point where everything was working, we're like, okay, onward. Interesting. So how do you decide when something's finished? I think you just know. I mean, things, you know, and that's the thing is knowing when something's specifically finished, that is hard to say because even when we're on set, you know, the actors bring so many ideas or a location may dictate, you know, that something needs to be rewritten or may change uh, an element of the story. Um so the story will change, but as far as like for me to be able to walk away from it, I think it's kind of in, it's something inside that tells you, I don't know, maybe it's, it's kind of like when uh, the, little, the little ducks fly, leap out of their nest, you know, to the water. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's go time. Yeah, it's just kind of something inside that you're ready to walk away from, yeah. Do you wanna talk about your role as a producer? Sure. What, is, what does a producer do? in regards to what kind of project. Okay, so this is something I didn't anticipate. Uh, <laughs> how does yeah, how does it change from like one project to the other? Like the Hillsborough commercials. You want to talk about that? Okay, with that one, as a writer, that was fun. Um they really gave me a lot of uh a lot of range to do whatever I wanted really. So I implemented their ideas, uh, put the script out, but then as far as producing, lining things up, that was really just making sure 
you know, coordinating with the police department, making sure that schedules lined up, uh, locations lined up, all the proper permits and insurance were taken care of, that we had actors, that people were knew their lines and whatnot. But then you take another project, say like Pretty Broken, like my scope of uh, my job description for that was like finding all the locations, working out uh, contracts and deals and scheduling for the locations, uh, working with the local agents on getting talent auditioned, also handling all the business aspect, making sure people were paid on time and paid what they needed to be paid based on their contracts, uh, making sure that we had vendors taken care of, insurance, making sure Brett had everything he needed to tell the story. So that's a situation where if we have a shoot, like if one of the days requires special uh, camera gear or there's some sort of logistic involved, like, well, we, we need this kind of truck to be driving by at this time. It's me finding the truck and making sure they're available to do what he needs. Again, it's t- because it was split up so many ways. I mean, one of our producers, she was really, she handled all of the paperwork um, and handled getting everyone's contracts set up. And she also, she was the one who figured out all the logistics for lodging, for out-of-town talent and finding the best deals for airline. And she stepped it, you know, on a no-budget, low-budget film, you have to wear multiple hats. So she ended up handling catering as well. You know, our other, one of our other producers, you know, she brought, she brought some uh, actors to the table and she was active in um, trying to, you know, when we were casting, uh, bringing people together to audition. Um, but she ended up wearing the wardrobe hat, which is unheard of. And she was also starring in the movie. So it's basically all hands on deck. If something needs to be done, everyone steps up and uh, it's split up accordingly. Whereas Brett, as a producer, he handled a lot, a lot of the technical stuff that I was not able to wrap my head around. I don't know, do you feel like there's kind of an entrepreneurial aspect to your work because of that? You definitely, you need to be a go-getter. To me, the most important part about producing is seeing the project through from beginning to end. And there will be downtime in the process, but you know, it's like after we wrap filming, it's like, okay, you know, how much, how much money do we need to raise for the next part of what we're doing? For post-production, how soon can visual effects start? When do we get into the studio to work on audio? who's going to do the audio. So it, there's always something to do. For this film, my role was just seeing the th- project through from beginning to end. And there's a lot of stuff go- that goes on during the downtime, like having to deal with taxes, having to handle the accounting, going into the bank, you know, making sure all the deposits are going through. Um, just all the non-fun non-filming related things. What are your thoughts on working successfully with someone you're married to? Oh, that's a good question. A lot of people ask, uh, how do you guys work together when you're married? Well, I do need to point out, his office is on the opposite end of the house from my office. So there is a little bit of a divide when we're working from home. But honestly, because filmmaking and working in the film industry, you don't have it's not nine to five for us we just don't clock in and clock out we're working constantly and i don't think i think we're a perfect fit because i just don't think anyone else would tolerate 
the craziness and the hours and um, just the just the scheduling. Like yesterday, yesterday we had to drive out to way like about an hours away um, towards the coast uh, to go film some greenery for a project to get about 20 minutes, a half hour of footage. And that was just kind of random in the middle of the day. That's what needs to happen. And then it's on to the next thing. And then it's like, oh, I have a client who has a script that they need to submit to their client. So I need to finish that now. So it's just so much juggling. Um, I think we just, we get it. We understand that there are times he'll be out of town for days, sometimes weeks working on stuff. And he understands that there are times where I will be racing around all over, all over the city, location scouting, or having to meet with clients, or hold up in my office writing without any interruptions. What are some of the unique challenges, do you think, of working with someone that you married you? You know, some of the challenges that have come up is because we know each other so well, sometimes uh, how we talk to each other uh, we have to monitor that because we do get comfortable getting snippy with one another at times, or we're able to speak more directly to one another than we would other people. Um, but, you know, as far as unique challenges, gosh, we've been really lucky. It really hasn't, I can't, I can't imagine um, having someone cheering me on more than Brett and vice versa, because we want, we want to see each other succeed. Like anything that you do that helps make the relationship go well that you like try and consciously practice on like a regular basis? Something we need to be better at is being able to walk away from work, you know, and luckily <laughs> we are able to, to do that recently. Uh, we set some time aside to finish watching Stranger Things right. season two. Um, but no, it, you know, it's just really, it's really hard to kind of turn off that that work switch, especially uh, when you're a creative person. So we try, I mean, we try to respect downtime and not bombard each other with ideas and stuff, even though that's like, I'll, I'll wake up at 1 a.m. Like, oh, I have an idea and I'll be writing. Or like, but you know, when we're in the car, if we're on a road trip or if we're driving to, if we're driving to a location or to a shoot, that's always a good time to, to bounce ideas, you know, and. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I didn't touch on? Well, we do have, I mean, Pretty Broken is gonna make its uh, debut in 2018. Uh, it's gonna be on the film festival circuit and we're just waiting to hear back which festivals, uh, but we're really excited about that. And it's exciting to release something out in the world to see where it goes and what it does and how people react to it and how to how it impacts other people. Where's a good place for people to find that? It, like, is it too early in the process to be able to like point people in a certain direction for it? Pretty Broken Film has a Facebook page, so as of right now, that's a good place to go. We have a fun Instagram uh, feed too, so Pretty Broken Film on Instagram is worth checking out as well. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. You can find links to a few samples of their work, as well as their social media pages, in the show notes. Thanks again to Brett Eichenberger and Jill Riemann-Snyder. From Brett, I liked learning about the impact that a good video can make. 
Mozilla thought it was interesting how much the script can change even after getting great recognition at competitions. Overall, I really like their strategy of making things that feel authentic and that resonate with their audience. Our world feels very noisy at times, so I think things that really cut through are often the most real. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, who spent their weekend paragliding over active volcanoes. You can listen to their hottest music at cepdx.bandcamp.com, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. If you like this conversation and want to hear a similar episode, check out my conversation with Polly Campbell. We talk about how she built her career as a writer and author. For all new episodes, just hit subscribe in your podcast app. Finally, you can help others discover why try by leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. Thanks for listening.